You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I am a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about the stellar four-game series that the Marlins just had, taking three out of four on the road against the Braves. What more can you ask for? I said going into the series that a split would be ideal. Well, how about taking three out of four and on the brink of a sweep? They could have swept, and I know you could say another blown save for the Marlins, but it was a blown save for the Braves preceding that. And yes, also you could say before that, the Marlins gave up some runs and gave up a lead as well. But you know what? That's baseball. And while I acknowledge there's some holes in this bullpen, I can promise you that's far from the last time the Braves will come from behind to beat a team and come from behind to beat a good team. They will do it plenty of times this year. It's one of the best offenses in baseball, especially at the top, and especially when you have the hottest hitter on the planet in Ronald Acuna at the top of your order. I mean, this guy has just been absurd, and he is so much fun to watch. I know it's not fun when it comes at your team's expense, but you have to just marvel at how incredible this guy is, because when we look at what he did over the course of the series, but also what he did today, because I think the pitches that were made to him were executed really well. He did strike out that one time against Trevor Rogers, and then he went yard, but on the pitch he went yard on... That was a tough pitch inside, pretty well executed. It didn't even look like he fully barreled it, just muscled it out with his pure bat speed. And then he did the same thing in the ninth inning, a pretty well executed pitch that definitely got in on the hands towards the like fist of the bat. And he just fought it off into left field for a base hit as well. So I I could talk a little bit about the bullpen. We'll get there and what the whole takeaway is from that. But let's start with the positives and let's just start with the series as a whole. This is the Marlins team. This series was reminiscent of last year of the team that we saw last year. And you know what? It is very much the same team, if not a little bit better, right? You add Adam Duvall to the fold, and while he's incredibly inconsistent, he came up big as a pinch hitter in the ninth, and I think he's showing that he is very comfortable coming off the bench. That's his second extra base hit coming off of the bench. He is more than comfortable doing it, and it's pretty valuable to have somebody that you can bring off the bench. Yes, he's going to strike out a ton, but that can tie the game with one swing of the bat, and that's just something that in the ninth inning, it's hard to string together a rally against a closer, but you can run into one baseball when he misses his spot just once and ambush him and tie the ball game up. So having a Duvall off the bench, obviously he's going to play a lot, and I think he showed his value also in the field. Duvall was putting on a clinic in the outfield this series. He's really comfortable at Truist Park as a hitter, and he's even more comfortable as a fielder. And we saw it, the way he played the caroms off the wall in right field, the way he was knowing where he was uh, in terms of like how much room he had up to the wall when he was drifting back to make catches. He was incredibly comfortable there. And that's going to happen at Marlins Park too. And as he gets more comfortable in Marlins Park, I think he's going to showcase even more so how dynamic his defense is because with more room in the outfield comes more responsibility. And there will definitely be plays where Duvall is going to be able to show his still above average speed and his ability to take good routes to the ball and his plus arm. Something also, before I forget, that I wanted to get to is 
People were talking about Marcelo Zuna and how great it would be to bring him back to Miami. And even though it was never really discussed on a serious level or something that the team really was ever tied to, this series with the Braves was a really good example of why that would have been a disaster defensively. I mean, he could not throw the ball. It's really unfortunate and it's really tough to see. But Ozuna can't even throw the ball from straightaway left field to the infield on a fly. It's like rolling in. I know he's had his shoulder issues, but I wonder if they really undersold all of the issues that he had with his shoulder and if there's nerve damage because I have just never seen somebody have an arm and their arm strength regress that much. It's not like he's 40 years old. It's really a shame to see. I mean, he still offers a ton at the plate, but could you imagine Ozuna trying to make throws in left field at Marlins Park or from the gap in Marlins Park, people are going to just be having a field day. The Marlins were exposing him. They were running, even if he was in shallow left field, they were running, trying to stretch everything out, and it worked. I mean, they took a lot of extra bases. They scored some extra runs on Ozuna's arm, and it's got to be a pretty helpless feeling for him. I definitely do feel for Marcelo Ozuna, but you know what? It just is what it is, and once the DH comes back, that's where the uh, Braves will obviously stick him because he does not have it there anymore, and he used to have an absolute chooch of an arm. I mean, you remember some of the throws he used to make as a Marlin? It's crazy to just see how much it has fallen off, but you know, it's just the nature of arm injuries, but I've just never really seen it that extreme from an outfielder. But back to the Marlins. I mean, this was a great series. Not the way you wanted it to end, but anytime you go to Atlanta and take three out of four, especially after the early struggles with this team, that is a huge, huge win. And I think it lit a fire under them a little bit where they go back to Atlanta. They are ready to take on a team that just knocked them out of the playoffs that they had a lot of contentious games with last season. And while I wouldn't say it felt like playoff baseball, it definitely felt like trade deadline, like late summer, getting towards the back end of the season kind of baseball where the games start to matter a bit more. It felt like it had that kind of intensity, that back and forth. And really, if it weren't for Ronald Acuna, I think the Marlins sweep pretty easily. The rest of the Braves offense is struggling mightily struggling mightily, and that is a loaded, loaded offense. Also, the Braves' bullpen has not been very good either, and they've got a lot of quality arms. The The reality was with this game today and after going extra innings, and the Braves have more depth in their bullpen, and still, they were really struggling to piece it together towards the end of this series. And while I like some of the acquisitions the Marlins made this offseason to at least accommodate the bullpen a little bit, when you have somebody like Yimi Garcia unavailable because he threw 11 pitches on Saturday, then 25 pitches on Monday and 12 more yesterday on Wednesday, it's just too much of a workload to send him out there again this early in the season, especially when he's been your best bullpen arm next to Dylan Floro. And you have Dylan Floro ready to go, right? Ready to go to close this game out. And he's been your most reliable bullpen arm right there with Yimmy. And Floro, unfortunately, had his worst outing in the most important time. It was a tough assignment for Floro, who has been really good, and the Braves saw yesterday. And also, the thing with Floro is he's not a big swing and miss guy. He's really a heavy bowling ball type of thrower where he's, even though he throws 94 and can blow by you on occasion, he's mostly going to get you to get weak contact ground balls and all that good stuff. So the problem was once somebody got on base and once the leadoff hitter gets on and then Acuna gets on, then he actually had a good at-bat with Freddie. The problem is he couldn't put him away. And that's because he doesn't really have that go-to out pitch. And when you're in the ninth inning and a team's just really looking and you have a lot of good hitters just looking to get on base and they're going to be as tough to get out. They always say the last three outs are the hardest, right? Especially against a really good lineup. 
it's going to be hard to close it out if you don't have that swing and miss stuff. And Floro doesn't quite have that. He's a great seventh or eighth inning guy. But in that kind of situation, once the first runner or two gets on base, it's going to be really hard for a guy like Dylan Floro to get out of it when it's a save type of situation. And that's exactly what we saw. Just Freeman kept battling and fouling off and fouling off and fouling off. And eventually he works the walk. And once you get the bases loaded, it's just it was just pretty much all over there. I don't think Floro was that bad. I mean, again, he made that good pitch to Acuna and he just fought it off on the fists. I mean, if if Acuna doesn't do that, if Acuna is not locked in like he is right now and pops up like any other human being would have on that pitch, then it's probably a totally different outcome. And that's just the nature of baseball. I don't think that there was anything to really be upset about in this loss other than the fact that it highlighted the lack of depth in this bullpen. I love Zach Pop's potential. I think Paul Campbell still could be a decent arm too, but there has to be a juggle here of like, okay, you added these guys in the rule five draft and they could be valuable. I I stand by the fact that I think both of those guys are potentially big league arms, but if you don't keep them at the active roster, you're going to lose them. And if this were the 2014 Marlins, I'd say find a way to keep both of them on the roster, especially Paul Campbell, because he could probably start ball games for you. And the 2014 Marlins, if you remember, started guys like Brad Penny, Randy Wolf. They even got some starts out of Kevin Slowey. Like that was a ridiculously awful team pitching wise. And we don't really see that same problem with the Marlins this year. They have a ton of pitching and more on the way where Nick Neidert is going to be a guy that you're going to ahead of Paul Campbell. I'd argue that Dan Castano is a guy that you go to ahead of Paul Campbell. Sixto is going to come back. You're hoping Edward will pitch at some time this year. Like starting pitching is not really an issue at all. And while Campbell is an interesting middle relief guy, he's a year older than Zach Pop. Doesn't have quite the quality of stuff. And I think the two guys are a bit redundant if we are looking at a place where the Marlins would have to upgrade because you look through the rest of the bullpen. Unfortunately, I don't see anybody else right now that the Marlins would say, okay, you know what, let's cut ties with them because they are really not going to cut anybody else. They're not going to cut Bass yet. He's a multi-year deal. John Curtis is starting to look really good. Floro has been phenomenal up till today. Yimmy Garcia has shut me up just like Brandon Kinsler did last year, and he's also not going anywhere regardless. Detweiler has actually been pretty good. Adam Simber, I would assume of the aforementioned names, would be the first to get cut from the list if the Marlins had to make a move out of all the aforementioned names outside of the Rule 5 guys. But I don't think Simber is going to go anywhere for a little bit either. He is really just wild for me to try to comprehend. He goes in there, plunks two guys in a row on two pitches, but then sometimes he'll come in there and get the shortest, quick innings you'll see. So I guess we got to see more on Simber. I don't know how to feel about him at all. I have no take on him. I'm nervous. He definitely makes me nervous. I don't really understand at all how he throws and gets people out, but he's like kind of Chad Bradford-esque, I I guess. I don't know. He confuses me, and I'm just going to move on from that. So that's the thing is right now you look through the bullpen. None of those guys are going to get dropped or released or whatever it is. They're going to stick it out for now and see what they got. And Blyer, of course, as I mentioned, he, he's been getting touched up a little bit this season, but his track record is too solid, and he's been a rock for this team. He was a rock for the team last year, and you know how I feel about Richard Blyer. So he's going to work it out. He'll be just fine. The rest of the team, or the rest of the bullpen, rather, the only two spots where you can make the case is uh, is the two Rule 5 guys with Pop and Campbell. Pop is a year younger. He's got crazy stuff. And while he hasn't totally put it together yet, remember, he's coming off of an injury where he hasn't thrown 
for in, in a game for well over a year, maybe more than that. I, I'm not looking at a stat sheet right now, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time since he's thrown in a game. So obviously, he's going to come out with a, with a couple bad outings out of the gate. That's okay. He still has ridiculous stuff. We've seen it. He's put together some decent innings. He's put together some good innings in spring training. I think he's going to be just fine. He even said himself he was crazy nervous the first outing. I'm sure he still has some nerves. He's got way better stuff than Paul Campbell. I loved Paul Campbell. I still think he can be a quality pitcher, as I said a couple times already. But if you're going to cut somebody out from this bullpen that doesn't help you this year as much, it's going to be Paul Campbell. And while Paul Campbell could be a piece for you in the future as that tweener, long reliever, spot starter, the Marlins don't really need that. And they could get more benefit from using that roster spot on uh, Anthony Bender or to potentially go out and sign a Shane Green. I think it's more likely we see Bender after what he did. And then if Bender struggles, then you go get a Shane Green or you call up Holloway. Then if Holloway struggles, you go get a Shane Green. But this bullpen needs at least one more piece to fortify it. And that's definitely not an understatement. I still am happy with the guys like Floro. I think Curtis has really come along in the last two outings. Looks a lot better. Bass did put together a good inning today, and I still think he's going to settle in. He might not be the closer, but he can settle in and be a solid seventh inning guy. Along with Curtis, Floro, Yimmy, and Bass, if he settles in a little bit, that is more than good enough in the back end of your bullpen with Detweiler looking pretty solid to get lefties. That's not the worst bullpen in the world. Like, that's okay. But you do need at least one more decent arm that can fill in in the leverage situations when one of those guys like Yimmy today have thrown too many pitches and are unavailable. Because right now it looks like Yimmy Garcia is going to be pitching almost every single day possible that he can. And I don't want to see this team run him into the ground, which Mattingly is very careful with and good about. But, you know, at this point, we don't really know who else they can go to in save situations if Yimmy's not available. I would probably go to Curtis next time. His slider looks really good. That'd probably be the guy I go to if you had to in the next outing. But it might be worth the Marlins looking at potentially opening up a roster spot in that bullpen to find somebody a bit more experienced and that could fill into high leverage roles and different roles within the bullpen and be somewhat adaptable and like almost a Swiss army knife for this team out of the pen that has done it before that's been there before like a Shane Green and I see him still on the market. I know he was asking for a decent chunk of change. Maybe that'll change as the season goes on here that he will lower the price a little bit. I get why the Marlins weren't spenders in free agency with the uncertainty around the TV deal. They didn't have the naming rights and, and all that goes with it. But now you look and you got some financial security. Fans are in the ballpark again. You have a little bit more revenue coming in outside of the fact that you just made these major deals. You could go get a reliever for a couple million, and that would move the needle for this team, aside from also catcher as well. I want to get into some specific takeaways from the series, and then a look ahead at the Marlins' next series, where the Giants come to town in just a moment. Quickly, a message from our friends at Locker Room, where I was actually going to do my first Locker Room yesterday, but the game went into extra innings, and if we did a Locker Room, if you guys joined you would have been listening to a zombie. I was already so cooked by the end of that game. I was so tired. I was like, okay, let's do this right, and we'll do it next time. So maybe after tomorrow's ball game, I'll be able to do it, and uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. 
For those who don't know, Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you in Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You'll have a chance to chat with me and might even have a chance to be featured on the Locked On Marlins podcast through our Locker Room conversations as we record them and I'll use some of the snippets for the episodes. Be sure to join me at some point this week. I will definitely let you know on my Twitter where you can get the link. All you have to do is download the Locker Room app, create a profile, then link your Twitter account and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. You can follow me at RMLayton8 on there. And when my room goes live, you will be notified if you do follow me. I know you won't want to miss what we do and some of the conversations we'll have on the post game. Looking forward to seeing you there. Also brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use our easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car parts you need, any make or model, whether it's an engine control module, brake parts, or a tail lamp, even motor oil, or a new carpet. They are so much easier to navigate on their website, and they will send it straight to your door that easy. Best of all, rockauto.com has reliably low prices that are the same for the professionals or the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same auto parts when you can just go to rockauto.com and have it shipped straight to your door? Go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So let's wrap up this series because it was a ton of fun, and then we will move on and look ahead here as the Giants come to town. This series to me was really Jazz Chisholm's coming out party, and I know he was already doing really well through the first few games, or first few series to start the season. I think that that was obvious that his performance was already taken note. But the reason why I call this his coming out party is because this was the most intense ball games the Marlins have played so far this season and the most competitive ball games that the Marlins have played against, of course, the rival Braves. And he just really showed his confidence on another level. He talked about it in the press conference after the ball game yesterday where he said, yeah, I want to match Acuna shot for shot. Anything he can do, I want to be able to do it better, and I can do it better. And that's pretty outrageous, especially right now, given that Ronald Acuna has an OPS of 1,500 and is right now the hottest hitter on the planet and one of the best players in the entire game, top three, top four, maybe even better than that. Uh, But I love the confidence from Jazz Chisholm. He also called Jacob deGrom's fastball light. Like, he's not going to mess around. And now he's already got his sights on Zach Gowan saying that he wants to take him deep. And I just imagine Zach Gowan just sitting somewhere reading that and just like, what, what, what did I do to jazz? Like, I, okay. Like, I just, I love the intensity because there's no way Zach Gowan was even thinking about that or even cared. And Jazz Chisholm is just looking for reasons to light a fire under himself. And I'm here for it. I like it. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch him all year long. He's obviously motivated. He obviously feels like he has a ton to prove and is never going to be satisfied, which is a great thing to have. But I think he should be pretty satisfied with his performance so far as he's slugging or not slugging. His OPS is 998 now through this season, largely because he's walking a ton and he has 
been just putting the bat on the ball and a lot of extra base hits now home runs he's he's slugging and he's walking and he's not striking out a lot I mean it's all good stuff but to take away from the series as a whole the offense it was a full effort from top to bottom up until today Brian Anderson was really putting it together he had a bad game today but he was really strong up until this ball game Marte has been nothing shy of consistent throughout the season so far but again through this series finally got his home run today Corey Dickerson another two hits just crazy consistent through this series John Birdie coming up big in big spots whether it was offensively base running defensively Every team in baseball should have or should desperately want a John Birdie. I can't express how valuable he is to this team, especially with the balance of youth and veterans that they have, the way they like to shuffle things around. I like the idea of giving Miggy Rowe days off because of the value he brings to this team as well. So to be able to give him a day off and not see a steep drop off, adding some more speed to the lineup where there's actually some sort of a benefit as well, being able to put in a righty when there's a tough lefty where you don't want to put Jazz against maybe certain really tough lefties and you don't lose the speed out of the lineup by replacing birdie with jazz there's a lot of reasons why having a birdie is so valuable and he can play all over he finished the game today and left Jesus Aguilar looks like he's picked up exactly where he left off last year as a very reliable middle of the order bat so one through seven (laughs) one through seven in this lineup is pretty consistent and then you have the solid bench bat of John birdie and also There's some dynamic aspect to Magnera Sierra, though. I don't know if he is the true guy that I want to use the outfield bench spot on all season long. We'll have to see. Maybe that'll be a role better for Monte Harrison if he's really hitting and starting to show some of that progression where he's making more consistent contact. But for now, it seems like it just makes more sense for Magnera Sierra. At least you have a contact-oriented lefty off the bench that is also super speedy. Now, when I say one through seven, it's because the Marlins have a giant deficit in the catcher role, but they did get a few good at-bats from Chad Wallach today, including an RBI hit, also walked, and overall, you'll take that every single day of the week from Chad Wallach. He's been offering more offense than Jorge Alfaro, but so have I, so that's also not the most exciting thing still, but Wallach has been a bit better, and I don't love Wallach as a guy playing more than once a week, but as a guy that does really know the staff well, I'm not opposed to him getting starts. My problem here is, and this was something that I saw someone mention to me on Twitter, and I replied with this because this is an important point, I think. When you look at the catching situation, Chad Wallach is obviously not a very productive catcher, and he's not a starting catcher by any means. That's not really groundbreaking, earth-shattering, or anything like that. But most backup catchers are not very good. They're not very productive. They handle the staff well. They're good defensively. That's kind of Chad Wallach. When you consider the fact that your starting catcher is not much better than a typical backup, but also doesn't offer the defensive ability or the ability to call games and just run the ball game from behind the dish that most backup catchers do, then there's an added importance on the backup catcher being more valuable as an offensive asset as well. There's nothing wrong with a Chad Wallach, but if your starter is Jorge Alfaro, then you need to have a better backup. You need to have like a Kurt Casale or a Jonathan Lucroy or something like that. 
Essentially, what I'm saying is if you're going to experiment with somewhat of a project still as a starter, you should have a very good insurance policy as a backup like Francisco Cervelli last year. That made way more sense. I loved that signing because he's better than your traditional backup catcher, but not quite good enough to be a starter. That's the exact kind of guy you have to have behind a Jorge Alfaro if you want to ride out the Alfaro experiment. If you don't want to ride out the Alfaro experiment, then you can have a Chad Wallach behind a quality or at least somewhat proven starter, that's fine. But that's where the issue lies with the catching position right now is my issue is not as much with Wallach. It's the dynamic of having a Wallach when you're going to stick with an Alfaro. And that's something that they're going to have to decide as well, as I've spent more than enough time talking about that. So through the lineup, the lineups looked much, much stronger as of late. And keep in mind, there's a lot of aspects where this team has improved. Again, I know they've came out slow out of the gate offensively, but you can make the case that this team is better offensively than last year, and I think it's a pretty sound and easy case to make because it's largely the same guys, and while you could say Mickey Rowe might take a step back this year, even though he's starting to heat up at the plate too and seems like a guy you can count on, you have Jazz Chisholm now taking a massive step forward and a guy that is able to impact the game from power to speed to defense, stolen bases, everything everything. There's so many different ways where he can impact the game that you don't really see too many Jazz Chisholms. And is he going to finish the year with a 1,000 OPS? Probably not. He might even go through some slumps through the year. But the added production of a guy like Jazz Chisholm that the Marlins didn't really have last year, John Birdie held his own at second base and did well. But John Birdie's a really good super utility guy. What Jazz Chisholm does at the plate right now and what he's been doing and what he offers is a huge, huge upgrade from what the Marlins got out of the second base position last year. Then remember, Corey Dickerson. I'm still fully counting on this guy being much better than last year. He's starting to show that as he heats up. Adam Duvall being added to the mix. Crazy inconsistent, but crazy power. This team needed a guy that can hit the ball out of the yard and in any given at-bat and put together a seven RBI performance like we saw from Duvall in this series. That's a guy that will single-handedly jolt your offense when it's really struggling and can come off the bench and do what he did today. That's something, again, that the Marlins haven't really seen in a while. B.A., you hope he doesn't take a step back. That's one of those that's not really guaranteed. We'll have to see how that progresses. But when you look at the offense all the way through, Cooper as well is going to do what he did last year. I'm not really, I don't really have any doubt about that. And Marte is hitting even better than he did last year as well. So you could say maybe there's even a bonus there. This is a team that is better offensively. And remember, they didn't have Marte the entire season. And Marte didn't actually put up great numbers as a Marlin. You could see his impact on the lineup, but he didn't really put up great numbers as a Marlin. Another thing that really makes me optimistic about this offense, and not optimistic in the respect that it's going to be elite, but optimistic in the respect that it's going to be better than last year, which was a playoff team. And the pitching is better too, which I'll get into in a second. But the reason why I think this offense could be even more productive is they may have just found and finally found their leadoff hitter, and it's Jazz Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm looks like he can man the leadoff spot for this Marlins team. And look, if he goes there and he struggles, then you move him back. I just don't see how a guy like Jazz would struggle in the leadoff spot. He is more patient than we've ever seen him. He's walking more than we've ever seen him walk, and he's barreling balls more than anybody in the league. He has top-of-the-line speed, he's aggressive on the base paths, and he said it himself. He feels like he has a similar skill set to Ronald Acuna, and if that's the case, Acuna thrives 
in the leadoff spot. Jazz Chisholm would love and own the persona and the attitude that comes with a leadoff hitter that can pack a punch. A guy that can lead off the ball game with a home run, but also a guy that can drag a bunt and beat it out at first, then steal second, and then steal third, and then tag up just like he did not too long ago. That's somebody that you can have in your leadoff spot that sets the tone for the game. And the Marlins have been lacking a true leadoff hitter for how long now? Jazz Chisholm embodies what your modern day leadoff hitter looks like, and especially now that his contact rates are up, his walk rates are up, and his plate discipline has gotten so strong, I think that this is a no-brainer to stick this kid in the leadoff spot and allow him to thrive and allow him to see a lot more fastballs too. He's going to see a lot of pitches to hit in that leadoff spot, especially with the way the Marlins lineup has looked after him. Imagine Jazz, then you could put Dickerson in the two spot. You could put Marte in the two spot. You can go with Aguilar, Cooper after that. There is a lot of fun that you can have with the top of the lineup with Jazz leading things off. I probably wouldn't go Dickerson in the two spot as I think about that. You don't want to go lefty, then lefty. So you go Jazz, then you go righty with Starling Marte, then go with a guy like Aguilar potentially in the three hole, which would be a lot of fun because you have the first two guys with a ton of speed, and then you have the guy with the best barrel control on your entire team and Jesus Aguilar who can essentially hit the ball wherever he wants, and there's going to be a lot of hit and run opportunities, a lot of first to third opportunities, and I could just see that offense wreaking havoc with the one-two punch at the top. The last time the Marlins would have had a one-two punch at the top of their order as dynamic as Jazz Chisholm and Starling Marte would probably be, and it's totally different players, but Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo, where they just have this just unmatched tone-setting ability and ability to just score runs on their own. I could see Jazz leading the ball game off with a base hit, then Marte splits a gap, and before you know it, it's 1-0. Like, that, that easy. That easy for those two guys with their skill set and with the speed that they offer and the speed-power combination. That would be one of the more exciting one-two punches at the top of the order in the NL. I really think so, and it would be really fun to watch. That's what they got to do. Get your better hitters, get your more exciting hitters and your more productive hitters more at-bats. And I think Jazz is at the point now where not only do you get him more at-bats, he's getting more opportunities to hit, he's getting more opportunities to make things happen on the base paths, and that's what you want to do with a guy like him, and that's what you want to have him playing. I love the idea of him going to the leadoff spot, and again, if he struggles, you move him back. That's okay, but I don't really see how a guy like him struggles in that leadoff spot. And it probably will reinforce that attitude of just focusing on not overswinging, making contact, and getting on base, which has also helped him in the power category too because he's barreling baseballs up at the 100th percentile, according to Baseball Savant. So he can't be much better than he's been in that category so far this year. So I'm going to look ahead real quick to the next series for the Marlins, which should be a good one and an opportunity for them to keep the ball rolling here as they get the Giants at home for three and then Baltimore at home for two games. And then they go back on the road out to San Francisco for a little home and home action. But again, they have a lot of momentum going and an opportunity to make up for that previous homestand and make up for the fans that went out there and did not see very much offense in their couple ball games or whoever went out to the ballpark to watch the Marlins in that first homestand. It was a little bit brutal. Before I get there, a quick reminder that this episode is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but we've got NBA, we've got baseball season, NHL all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, 
shows in reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So quickly, also, I totally forgot. How did I forget about this? Because this is my guy. I've been hyping him up for the last like seven months now. But Trevor Rogers, really good outing again. Five innings, three hits, seven strikeouts, three walks, and two earned runs. Another really good outing from him. And the pitch that Acuna hit out. Oh, yeah, I did talk about him a little bit in the beginning. The pitch that Acuna hit out off of him was a good pitch. So I really don't think he did anything wrong. Like he had a really, really good outing and guys just can't hit him. And it was interesting to hear Gabby Sanchez talk about it after the ball game because my scouting report, or at least from everything I've seen from him in person, on TV, and just sitting behind home plate a couple of times watching him throw, it was exactly what Gabby Sanchez said what that he heard from hitters that faced him. It's like that it's an invisible where he just hides it so well, you feel like you're right on it, and it just disappears. It gets on you so quick, then the changeup fades out of there. That's the kind of thing that when you hear that about a pitcher, they're going to exceed quality of stuff-wise. They're going to exceed whatever the scouting grades are on their stuff. They're going to get it to play up way more, and that's exactly what we're seeing with Trevor Rogers, paired with the fact that he also is running it up to 98 now, which is just totally unfair. So looking ahead at the next series, we have Dan Castano. Finally pitching after the Marlins had to bring him up and send Brinson down. Now he's finally going to make his first start of the year against old friend Anthony Desclafani, who actually had a really good first start to the season. And the Giants, they are no slouch. They're not exciting, really, in any way. And the crazy thing about the Giants right now is that they are being propelled by old dudes right now. Like, really old dudes. Buster Posey is looking really good to start the season. 855 OPS. Has hit a couple homers. Brandon Crawford, not good. He's not been good. But Evan Longoria has been really good. Longoria looks like he's back with the Rays again. 316, 381, 658 slash line. That's good for a 139 OPS, four jacks. Who is this Evan Longoria that we're seeing? He's back. And this is crazy too because the Giants are off to an 8-4 and four start, yet a lot of their better players are not really doing well. I mean, Mike Yaskremski's hitting a buck 54. As I mentioned, Brandon Crawford, a buck 58. Brandon Belt, a buck 60. Mauricio Dubon, who shouldn't even be a starter, to be frank, buck 43. Alex Dickerson, buck 48. And they're still doing well. This Giants team as a whole is just riddled with old friends. And that's also a lot of fun when they come to town. But it's also old friends that their success kind of trolls you a little bit, like Disco, who is pitching to a .82 ERA right now through his first two starts, punched out 12 over 11 innings. Not too sold on him being able to continue to do that, but we'll see how Disco continues. They've also got Harlan Garcia, who was off to a bad start this year in his first three outings, but was dazzling last year. That'll be interesting to see because that was frustrating watching Arlen Garcia just deal last year after the Marlins essentially let him go. And then how about Donovan Solano, who is probably the best hitter in the world, I guess, hitting 353 again this year and 395 on base. But he's the only guy I've ever seen that has nearly a 400 on base 
and still like an 800 even OPS. <laughs> he just does not hit for a lick of power. But that guy is just a barrel god. He just barrels everything. That's why they call him Donnie Barrels. I've really liked watching him succeed. It's been really cool to see after all of the up and down. And Marlins fans really embrace Solano. So I was very happy to see him have this success. And let's hope it continues. Let's let's go. I'm all in on a Donovan Solano batting title. Although if that did happen last year, where there was a point in time where it was very close to happening, I was like, that's going to fully invalidate this season. <laughs> like if Donovan Solano wins the batting title, everyone's going to say fake season. So it didn't happen, but I would love for it to happen in a full season. I'm all in on Donovan Solano winning a batting title. He's off to a good start, but that would be one of the best trick questions in 20 years that I'll ever be able to ask anybody who won the batting title the first year after COVID, the first full season after COVID. Donovan Solano, 33 years old with the Giants. A little bit early, only 11 games in, but he is off to a great start and he is interesting and a tough guy to get out. And that's the thing with this lineup is I think when you look through, they have a lot of just pesky guys. Wilmer Flores off the bench can be tough on lefties. Tommy LaStella is a really good hitter. One of the more underrated hitters in this game. And if you think I'm crazy, check out the numbers. All-star in 2019 with an 832 OPS. Then in 2020, put up another year of an 819 OPS. And then this year, so far, through 10 games, a 909 OPS. The guy's just a hitter. He can play third. He can play second. He's a very low-key impact guy that is a good low-key pickup. I liked that pickup a lot for them. But where the Giants have really had their success this year and where it will be a little bit of a challenge for the Marlins if they fall behind is their bullpen. They've put together a pretty darn good bullpen, and it's also off to just a good start in general. Jake McGee in the closer role has been lights out. Seven and a third innings, he's punched out 10 while only giving up one hit. Tyler Rogers has looked really strong through his first eight outings, a 1-1-3 ERA, eight innings, only giving up one run. Wandy Peralta, also sub-2 ERA. Reyes Maranta, he's on the 10-day IL, but he should be back soon. He looked good through his first few outings. So the back end of that bullpen is really, really strong. And then they've gotten some good outings so far out of Jose Alvarez and Caleb Berger. So overall, this is a team that's kind of propelled by a strong bullpen and some pieced together starting pitching. It was unfortunate to see Johnny Cueto go down uh, the other day because Johnny Cueto has been really good through his first three starts, pitched to a 1.94 FIP, and he's 2-0. And that was really tough to see because I always get hyped up when Johnny Cueto's back and looking good. So not sure what the timeline is on him, but Kevin Gossman, pretty solid. We'll see on Disco tomorrow. And Aaron Sanchez, back, which is also another guy that is good to see back as he has battled injuries a lot throughout his career, but when he's healthy, he he is tough to hit. I still think it's favorable matchups for the Marlins. Maybe not tomorrow with Dan Castano on the mound. It is good that Castano's pitching at home. He is a fly ball pitcher. I think he's always going to pitch much better at home, but then when you look at the subsequent matchups where it's Sandy Alcantara versus Aaron Sanchez, Aaron Sanchez is pretty solid, but I think that's obviously advantage Marlins almost anytime Sandy's on the mound unless he's going against a top 15 pitcher in the game. Pablo Lopez versus Alex Wood, advantage Marlins, especially with the lefty on the bump. The Marlins should do some damage to him. So the tone setter is really going to be that first game tomorrow. Is Disco going to continue the success he's had through the first two starts? Can Dan Castano hold his own in his first outing? That's going to be the big question. And if the Marlins take that one, that's going to be a really good start because then you hand it over 
to Sandy and Pablo. And the one thing with Pablo is if he has a bad start, he almost always bounces back with a really strong start. And that is what I love about him. And I'm expecting him to come out guns a blazing and have a really good outing. And Sandy, I mean, you can almost pencil that guy in for a quality start every single every single time. Every single time he goes out there, he is just so consistent nowadays. You can almost guarantee that you're going to be in the ball game every fifth day. The key with these Giants is don't fall behind. And if you do fall behind, try to get on those starters because the bullpen's going to be a problem once you get to the back end, especially once you get to Tyler Rogers and you get to some of the other guys in that back end, like Jake McGee and even Wandy Peralta. The way the offense has looked, that should be a very doable and attainable goal. And that should help them to have some success in this series. But the Giants aren't a slouch. I like the pitching matchups. Last time I said that the Marlins got swept. So so I'm sorry for the jinx if it happens again, but I do think that they are in a pretty good situation here. And like I said a few times, can get some momentum rolling into this next series and into the road trip. So I'm looking forward to that. As always, thank you for listening. I really appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to the podcast, taking the time to leave ratings as they help me immensely. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already to keep up with all of the latest episode releases as I'm a bit inconsistent with the exact time I get it out. I'm going to try to be more consistent and get them out right around the early afternoon every day, depending on the ball games. I waited till after today's game, so the episode did not become too stale uh, right away. So I hope you were okay with that. I hope you enjoyed this, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.